session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. I wanted to announce the book of the week. Again, it's a book about love by Jonah Lehrer, a book about love. And um, I had heard some things about this author, and I wish I'd looked into it a little bit more. So Jonah Lehrer has written a few books that became quite popular, including How We Decide, and Proust was a neuroscientist. Uh, But he got into some hot water after some uh, revelations came out that he might have done some things that weren't quite um, meeting the integrity you'd hope for a journalist or a writer, including fabricating some quotes from Bob Dylan in a book he wrote called Imagine. And then also there might have been some parts that were plagiarized from another author in another book that he wrote, How We Decide, and there was factual errors as well and improper citation. So he has a note at the beginning of this book um, that I actually didn't see when I was getting the book itself where he, in a way, almost apologizes for those mistakes, but then also says to make sure that doesn't happen again, he is doing some things like having the book independently fact-checked and checking with peoples that he is citing and things like that. So I didn't know that before I read the book. Um, I don't know if it would have affected if I would have picked his book, maybe... We give people second chances, and so we'll see, um, you know, what he does going forward. But anyway, that's the book for this week, A Book About Love by Jonah Lehrer. I'll share that uh, on the show next week. I wanted to start off today talking about a saying that we often hear, and like many sayings that sometimes sound nice, or especially ones that rhyme, we sometimes think they have to be true, or we take them to mean something that sometimes they do not Another one of these that I think is kind of funny is when they say, happy wife, happy life, which might be true. I I heard another one related to that that I think is more accurate, happy spouse, happy house, which at least includes both partners. So it's not just one person needs to be happy for the relationship to work out. And of course, because in English, wife and life rhyme, that quote works or that saying works, but in other languages it doesn't. But then somehow when things rhyme, I feel like people think it's more likely to be true. But anyway, so there's lots of these sayings that I think people sometimes take too much at face value and think it has to be the truth, or even it loses some of its meaning. The one I wanted to talk about today is it's the thought that counts. So sometimes people say, oh, it was the thought that counts. And in a way, there is truth to that. It's the the intention when I think we say the thought that counts. So if someone gets you a gift and they bring you something that they know you would like, but it turns out you already have it, and then you open the gift and say, oh, I already have one of these, and they say, oh, I didn't know that. Well, you think it was the thought that counts. You 
got a gift that you thought would be useful to me. And in a way, it was so useful that I myself purchased it for myself. So your intention, the thought that went into the gift, that counts. That goes a long way. That shows that you really cared or you tried to do something for someone, but for something out of your own hands, it didn't work out. It was the intention, the thought that counts. But sometimes people stretch this to make it think that if you just think of doing something, that means it's the same as doing it. Oh, you know, I wanted to to call you for your birthday, but I didn't. It's the thought that counts. No, it's not. It's the action that counts. Or I wanted to come show up to your show to support you, but I ended up not coming. And so they might even tell you to be nice. Oh, it's the thought that counts. You were thinking of coming. But again, it's not. You actually have to go do the thing. So I think we have to realize it's not the thought that counts. It's the action that counts. And we can't think that because we thought something, that means we've done the same thing. Uh, In the book, The Road Less Traveled, uh, M. Scott Peck talks about love and how love is shown through time and attention. And I really like that way of conceptualizing love because I think it makes a lot of sense that if we really love someone, we give it time and attention. And that's why when people tell you they love you, but they don't give you any of their time or any of their attention, you don't really feel like they love you. Or especially this is true when it comes to parents. Parents can tell you they love their kids so much, but if they're not spending a lot of time and attention for their kids their kids won't feel loved and really you might not really believe they love their kids. They say, oh, I love my kids. I'll die for my kids. Uh, But they don't come home that often. They work so much. They don't make time for their kids. They don't show up to their kids' games or whatever else, school events, but they say, I love them. And so again, it almost comes back to this feeling of it's the thought that counts. I think so much about my love for my kids and that's what matters. If you only knew what I felt in my heart, for my kids or for my partner or for my friends or my family, whoever we're thinking about, you would just understand how much I love them. You would feel it. And the feeling of it and the thought of it is not enough and doesn't mean very much. It's the action that matters. The same is true when it comes to our lives and goals. You can think about, oh, I'd like to exercise more, read more, do this more, do this less. The thought doesn't mean anything. The thought could be the first step But without the action, it doesn't mean anything and you won't get any results. But especially in the interpersonal domain, I think this is important. Because if you are in a relationship or if you're thinking of your family, you have to show them that thought. So lots of times husbands and wives, they might feel very good things about each other. But if they don't show it, the other person is not going to feel your love. Love is only felt through the expression of love, not just the love in your heart which we can sometimes think about or talk about, that I have this feeling within me. So think about your own uh, relationships, the people in your life, and realize that if you're not showing them love, if you're not expressing it, they're not going to feel it. They won't know what you're feeling. And what's interesting is sometimes because we don't know what's going on in people's heads, we think they think of us much less than they do. This is very common in relationships, actually, where people think, wow, I'm thinking about this guy or this girl all the time, um, but he or she barely calls or texts me, so they must not think of me in the same way. But if you put yourself in their head, they'll probably think the same thing. This person is not calling or texting me so much, so they must not be thinking much about me either. 
And so this is a very common experience that happens where people don't realize how much people are thinking of them, even not just in the dating or romantic realm, but in their family relationships. We don't realize how much people are thinking of us. And so what we want to do is translate that thought into action. And it doesn't mean every single time you're going to necessarily reach out to someone, but maybe you can make it more times. If you're thinking of a loved one, just say, hey, I just thought of you. Some This reminded me of you. I thought about this memory or whatever it might be. And that gives them a, a sense of how you think about them or feel about them. In your head, it doesn't get to anything. It won't get to any result. But if you express it, they can feel that. And especially when it comes in our relationships, our romantic relationships, let your partner know you're thinking of them. Or if you think about getting them a gift, you actually have to get it. If you just think about it, it doesn't mean very much. And again, this is where, because we can sometimes say it's the thought that counts, people can think, oh, maybe it is enough that I thought about doing something. It's not the thought that counts. We have to take that away. The, the real quote is, to me, it's the intention that counts, because that's what we mean by the thought, not just thinking about something means something. And even in the domain of goals, which is something I'll talk about soon, you can make a goal at any time, but many people will make goals for the new year, which is coming up. Uh, we can have that same effect happen. And even they've done some research or there's some um, theories that sometimes when people think about a goal, they almost feel like they've accomplished that goal. Or if they talk about it in a way, it makes it seem like they've already done it. And sometimes they don't actually do the work to achieve the goal. So in a way, they feel like it's the thought that counts. I thought about losing weight or reading more or spending more time with my family or quitting this or doing that. And we almost feel like we've already achieved the goal when in fact we haven't done anything yet. We have to take the action. So it's not the thought that counts. The real quote is, to me, it's the intention that counts, but also really it's about the action that counts. Everything comes down to what you actually do. Thinking something and just feeling something is not enough. And people who hear my show know that I'm very big on feelings. So it's not to say feelings don't matter, but when it comes to feelings about other people, if you don't express something, they can't feel it. You have to translate it in the action or expression. Even if it's a negative feeling like anger, if you don't express it to them, they won't know that you're upset with them. So just the thought of the anger, the experience of anger is not going to be enough for them to know. Very often people think their partner should be able to read their mind or know what's going on. But if you don't express that feeling, nothing will be able to be translated to them. They're not going to be able to read your mind. This is a very common thing that comes up in relationships and even something we'll talk about in couples therapy with partners uh, that don't think your partner will know what you're feeling or know what you're thinking. You have to say it. You have to express it. So we have these incredible minds that are so good at thinking about so many things and, and being aware of so many things. But when it comes to the people around us, without communication, without expression, they have no idea of what's going on within our mind. So come back to yourself or coming back to ourselves. We have to think about this in the way of where is it in my life where I think about things, but I don't take the action because everyone thinks about, for example, doing nice things, doing more community service, giving more to charity, doing uh, better things for other people, taking better care of themselves. If really it was the thought that counts, everyone would be in shape, very successful, very well read, have lots of 
money and friends and all the good things that they would want because we're always thinking about these things or wanting more of those things in our lives. And this also, in a way, can come back to this idea of books like The Secret, where if you just think about something, you get it. Or if you think about it, you'll have it in your life or the universe will give it to you, which I definitely disagree with. I think it is important to have a vision of what you want. Setting goals and actually even visualizing your goals can be very powerful and important in helping to prepare you for what's next, which is the action. You have to take the steps to get there. So it's not the thought that counts when it comes to reaching your goals. It's the action. You want to get a degree. You can think about it. You can ask the universe. You can um, imagine what it's like to graduate and be on that stage and hear them saying your name. These can all be very powerful motivators and tools that will help you. But if you don't sit down and read and take the tests and do all the work it takes, the thought won't mean anything at all. Many people have thought about getting a degree or getting a new job or getting a new skill or developing a talent or whatever it might be, but the thought didn't get them there. It was the action. So we have to be careful that we don't let these types of sayings uh, get into our heads a little bit too much, thinking that, well, if it's a thought that counts, if I just think about doing things, that's in a way as good as doing them themselves. And especially when it comes to the domain of our relationships, just thinking about loving someone doesn't mean anything. The love in your heart is wonderful, but if it doesn't get expressed, no one can feel it. No one can know what you're feeling for them. So it's not the thought that counts when it comes to love and how we express it. It's the action. So um, there's a lot of these types of sayings that we can get caught on because they rhyme or they sound nice or we've heard them lots of times. But when you look at them, you see there's a lot that's not true about them and we can misunderstand them to apply them in our life in a way that doesn't make sense. So it's not the thought that counts. It's the actions that count. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hambra, you're on the air. Sure. Uh, my concern is about a friend uh, who is planning to marry uh, a man who is 25 years older than her. Okay, and can you please speak I, a little bit louder? And I, I'm getting an echo, so I don't know if the radio is on. No, the radio is not on. Okay, if you could just please speak louder because we're getting it, the your voice is coming in very quiet. Uh, I said my concern is about a friend mm -hmm. who is planning to marry a man who is uh, 25 years older than her. And um, uh, I don't know where do you draw the line between being concerned about somebody or you interfering with somebody's life. Mm. Well, uh, yeah. In this specific uh, circumstance. Yeah. How old is your friend? Uh, is mid thirty. Mid thirties, okay, and they're marrying someone close to sixty. Then, that's right. Okay, um, so th these are tough situations where we think clearly we know something that someone is doing is wrong. What do we do? And it's not that there's one right answer. For me, it's always about having a conversation with them. You can't literally stop them, 
Um, but what you can do is try to talk to her about what's going on and see what she thinks or feels about the situation. So have you talked to her about what's going on? Well, she doesn't um, uh, let conversation, even doesn't um, uh, basically um, walk, talk, talk around the subject and uh, uh, give the expression or the impression that uh, she doesn't want to talk about it. Okay, so she says when you bring it up, when she when you bring it up, she says she doesn't want to talk about the situation at all. Something like that, if not directly, but indirectly. Okay, well, that makes it very hard to do anything if she's not willing to to talk to you about it. So it limits what you can do. Um, if you can't. I mean, you could let her know I'd really want to talk to you about this. I'm concerned about you. Um, but if she's not willing to talk to you, you really can't do much. So it does, it does kind of tie your hands. I don't, how close are you to this person? Uh, it's difficult. I'm more close to the family than herself directly. Um, and um, it's sort of um, not very close, but close. It's difficult to, to explain the circumstances. Okay. It's somebody that I know the family, uh, yeah. but n not directly involved with uh, herself. Yeah. Well, if I mean, you know, these are, again, it depends on all these situations. The reason why I was saying it's hard to say what's the right situation First of all, in general, we have to let people make the decisions in their lives. You know, that, of course, we know. But sometimes we can see someone doing something very harmful, for example. It's different than this situation, but if someone is addicted to drugs and is getting close to maybe even losing their life or ruining their life, let's say, there is that blurry line of where do we really intervene. Even people literally have an intervention where they're intervening in the person's life because they see that they're ruining their life. Um, so there's how bad the action is that they're doing, which we have to be aware that this is a subjective type of a thing, because to one person, they might think someone is throwing their life away, whereas someone else thinks it's a good idea. It's not always going to be black and white. So there's that, how bad is the action and how clearly bad is it and harmful to them? And the other one is how our relationship with the person, how close we are to them. So if it's a brother or sister or child or parent, you might be able to get more involved, even still respecting their individuality, then it, it seems like in this case, because of the distance that there is between you and this person, that it's kind of like a family friend, there really isn't much you can do. Uh, it may be unfortunate to see. Yeah, yeah I understand. Yeah. If, if it was some, one of your friends and would uh, be about to do something like that, what would you uh, say and how would you open a conversation about that? Yeah, well, again, it depends on, you know, when you're saying it's a friend, if it's a close friend, I think what I always find is that if you attack the person, they're just going to get defensive or say what you're doing is wrong. Uh, you, I usually think it's better to express talk to them about what's going on, let's say, ask them about the relationship and you have a conversation, but at some point you can express, I ha this is a concern I have. This is what I'm worried about. So express it as a concern, not I know as a truth that this is going to ruin your life or you're making a mistake, because that usually is going to make someone react negatively or they're going to close off what you say or feel like they have to defend what they're doing. So to me, it's more about expressing a concern 
and even asking them about it because we want to have a conversation. I, I've seen so many families where it, it's different than this case, but a parent is concerned about who their son or daughter is dating. And rather than having conversations with them, they start to attack them. They say, this is stupid, this is wrong, what are you doing? Or I don't want to even meet the person because of, let's say, religion or race or whatever it might be. The reason that they, for some reason, think it's impossible or the job the person has, whatever it is, they've made some reason that they just don't want to even look at the person or accept this relationship. But all they're doing is they're damaging the relationship they have with their son or daughter and they're likely to have almost no influence on the situation anyway. So what you need to do is maintain the relationship. So I know this is not specifically to you, but since you're bringing up this topic, I, I think it's important for people to be aware of this because I've seen it play out so many times where people will come in, either they'll call on the line, but especially in therapy, I can see it more where a family will come in talking about a situation like this and the parents are just so against the relationship and you know, have made threats of maybe disowning or not being involved with the wedding or, uh, you know, wh whatever else it might be that they're threatening to do and just being so against the relationship. And you see the son or daughter just defending the relationship, defending their partner, saying, no, this, they're good, we are good, all these things. But then if you talk to that person alone, the person in the relationship, they'll start to express some concerns that they have. They might even have the same concerns as the parents have, but because the parents are attacking they're creating a war. And that's what I always tell people. If you start off a conversation with an attack, you've created a war, not a conversation. Because the other person now has to either defend themselves or attack you back. They're not going to be able to take in what you're saying and have a conversation with you back and forth that's going to be productive. So then when you're talking to this person one-on-one -on -one without their parents involved, all of a sudden they start saying, I'm worried about this and this, or these things do scare me. And sometimes even they'll break down because... What's happening is they don't have anyone to talk to now. If they're worried about the relationship, they don't feel like they can talk to their parents because they know that as soon as they bring up any issue, their parents are going to jump on and say, see, told you this is wrong. Told you you're making a mistake. You need to end this now. And they don't feel they have a space to actually have a conversation about it and express their concerns because they feel that they're going to get attacked on and jumped on. So I always advocate for trying to create conversations, not having lectures or attacking someone about how what they're doing is wrong. And especially parents can do this and they'll cite, well, because we're older, we know that your life is going to be ruined if you make this decision. Or because I'm older, I have the experience, I know that this is the wrong thing to do, which is almost never going to make the person want to listen to you more. You're just saying, I know about your life better than you know about your life. And that's not the case. The person is with this person and they're in that relationship. So, uh, you know, you asked the question about if it was a friend, it would still be similar that I would want to have a conversation with them, talk to them and even let them express what they're concerned about in the relationship, not just attack them. Because as soon as you attack someone, they're always going to get defensive, no matter what it is. Even if we're going talking about drug addiction, which I mentioned, if you attack them too harshly, then they're going to tell you, I can quit anytime. My life is okay. I'm okay. You know, I'm not addicted, all of that. But if you have more of a conversation, it's more likely that they might eventually be able to share with you, you know what, I'm scared about what's happening to my life or I feel out of control too. So to me, it's always about having a conversation rather than an attack or a lecture. Yes, um, thank you very much for that. There's sure. two, two things that I'm a bit uh, concerned. One is that if she, um, some at some point, she realizes that what she's doing uh, has some problem in it, and she wants to 
basically uh, come back. Uh, she might be concerned that what other people might think and, so, you know, stories like that. So would, they, uh, would you uh, think that it would be okay if I just suggest that at any point, if you think what you are doing is not right, it's best is to uh, call it uh, off. And, uh, you mean she no would feel how far you've gone? Yeah. Well, you're saying she would worry about how people might judge her if she gets divorced or ends the relationship. That is one of my concerns. Okay. I don't know if that's an issue for her or not. So I don't know. I mean, again, depending on how close you are with the person, the way you described it, it seemed like it's kind of distant. So you can. If you want, ask her for a converse if she wants to talk to you. If she says no, you have to recognize your limits. You can only do so much. And if someone doesn't want to talk to you or if you're not close enough to talk to someone, you really can't do much. You can't force them to have a conversation. So you can you can talk to her, but, you know, you can say you are concerned. Again, I would present it in a very gentle way, even if you were closer to her. Here are some concerns I have. I don't. But, you know. And even as a parent, you can say yeah. that. You can express your yeah. opinion. But to me, it's about how you do it, not even exactly what your opinion is, but how you say it makes a, a big difference. So you can say that, but we don't yeah. know if that's even an issue for her. Maybe she's not worried about that. You know, she's maybe okay with the divorce or ending the relationship if it comes to that. So, yeah, you can, but that's not something that I would say you... Um, have to say, or we know that even will yeah. have an impact. What's yeah. what, you said? There was another thing you had a question. Yeah, I've got another question. It's more general. If you have time, sure, um, go ahead. and that is, uh, what makes uh, that sort of relationship work for, from the girl point of view, who is looking for somebody, you know, not looking, perhaps, perhaps it just happened who is uh, 25 years older, or, or a man who allows himself to uh, go for a girl uh, who, uh, who could be, you know, the age of uh, his daughter. Uh, yeah. That concerns me about the character of that man as well. Well, well sure. I mean, of course, um, in traditional Persian culture, 25 years is a lot, but it's not even that unheard of um people would be 18 yeah, and get you know they're, they're in europe okay in europe, well even still and a lot of men will will want to date someone much younger be with someone much younger we know that youth is something that men will value more than women do when it comes to relationships so for a lot of men dating someone or marrying someone younger is a sign of their own kind of power or status that i can be with someone so much younger because youth is sought after in a woman. So a lot of men will want to be with someone much younger than them. Um, I think I agree with you. I don't like the idea of someone marrying someone 25 years younger than them or older than them. It, it could mean something. We don't want to, I can't judge their relationship for sure. But of course, I would be concerned too with what you're saying that she, it's very cliche to say it or stereotypical, but seems like she's trying to marry her father or there's something there that we would want her to look at what's going on that she wants to be with someone so much older than her and likely there is something there regarding her father but we can't i can't tell you that their relationship is going to be bad or can't work 
it's possible it, it works out, but I do have concerns like you do that I would uh, think about. Yeah, the, the thing is, it might, you know, the working be working now, but uh, you're, you're talking about 10 years' time, 20 years' time. Life is not that short. It is short, but it's not that short. No, it's not. Well, <laughs> yeah, when, I mean, when you're 25 years young, older, your life is shorter than someone who's 25 years younger. But yes, life is not short. I, I agree with you. Again, I don't would not tell someone this is... A, a smart decision uh, with what you're telling me. But again, we can't figure out for them. And if they're living far away and doing what they're doing, we, we have to allow people to make their mistakes. You know, we can't control their lives or there's people making mistakes everywhere. And then there's people also making mistakes, which are us. We're all making our own mistakes too. So uh, I get your concern about the situation. I would feel a concern too. But then we always want to be aware of how much we're focused on other people's lives and then come back to our own and where we can improve our own lives or mistakes we're making in our own lives. Because inevitably we're going to be doing maybe not the same mistake this person is making, but our own mistakes. Yeah. Thank you very much for your call. Sure. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, there are a lot of interesting questions were brought up about how to be there for someone when we see them doing something in their lives that we feel is, is hurtful. And as I said, there's two major elements to always think about. One is how bad is what they are doing? And as I mentioned, that is subjective because someone might be quitting their job to pursue their dream and to someone they think that's a great idea, they should do that. And to someone else, they think they're ruining their life and making a mistake and I have to stop them. So we have to be aware that our own values, our own subjective experience is going to impact how wrong we think what the person is doing is. Some things might be more clear, like drug addiction. But even with that, there are some people that if they think drugs are so bad and no one should ever do any drugs, they might even think if someone is smoking marijuana once a week, they're ruining their lives and I have to intervene. And so you'll see this oftentimes with parents and their teenage kids or even older kids where they think they have to do something because their values when it comes to drug use is so different than their kids or maybe different really the reality if someone is using marijuana once a week we don't have to worry that they're ruining their life because of that but they to them it might be that way so we have to be aware of the subjective side but we want to look at how harmful is what the person is doing if they're literally getting to the point where they're almost killing themselves or ruining their lives then we might be more aggressive in how we intervene but the other part is our relationship with the person you have to um, be close enough to someone to even give them your advice unsolicited. If they ask you, that's one thing. But unsolicited advice, you can give it, but we have to be aware that we're crossing some boundary. You're crossing some uh, line there when you tell someone or s suggest to someone that what they're doing is wrong. Even if you make it in the way I said as a conversation, you have to still realize you're crossing a boundary that is their personal space to make their decisions and to live their life on their own and to make those choices. So you have to look at those two dimensions, what they're doing, how wrong or bad and hurtful it is, and how close you are to that person, and always using the relationship as the strength, not your advice as a strength, but being close to the person and having a conversation with them rather than a lecture, an attack, uh, or starting a war. You want to be able to have a conversation that goes back and forth and allow them to even express their concerns or even their thoughts on what you're saying is concerning you. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back.
back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Okay. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi, you're on the air. Okay. So, let's, uh, w- what's your call about? Um, I'm talking about a family matter, my okay. relationship with my parents and their relationship with me and some serious issues that we're having together. All right. How old are you? I'm 25. 25. Okay. Are you living with them at home? Uh, currently not. I've moved to Canada about four months ago. They're living in Iran, but I will be going back to Iran, so I technically will be living with them again. Okay. Did you come out here for school? Um, yep. Okay. What are you studying? Uh, right now, Masters of Adult Education and Community Development at the University of Toronto. Okay, very good. And then your plan is to go back to Iran? Yeah. All right. So what are the communication issues you're having with them? Um, basically, I decided to come to Canada, but it wasn't really my choice. It was something my parents liked me to do, and I told myself that it's a good idea to stick with their plan. Now I have found myself uh, very unhappy. I've had anxiety and depression disorders um, issues before, but now here I started having panic attacks. Mm-hmm. I've been put on medication and seeking therapy, and the final decision I've made is to go back to Iran and uh, pursue a career in art and study art, which is something that I like. And my parents are not on board with that decision. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so it seems to me that this is like a family issue that I am only facing all by my own, and it seems to me that I'm the only one who is trying to fix the situation, whereas I think they need to be a part of it as well. Okay. Do you have any siblings? I have an older brother. He's four years older than me, and he's been living in the U.S. for six years. Okay. Um, and you, But you don't want to stay in Canada or U.S.? You want to go back to Iran? Uh, yeah, but then preferably go to a European country to study art. Okay. Okay, so what's, uh, and first let me just make a comment about, you said, you know, you've been going through a lot of anxiety and depression, panic attacks being, and you think it's related to being in Canada, I think, or being away from home. And this is why I always tell parents not to push too hard, or really not just parents, but anyone when you, in relates to the previous caller, make a decision for someone with something like this of moving to a country or picking a career or going to a school Mm -hmm. that you have to make sure the person is making the choice themselves because whatever you're going to do, it's going to have a lot of hardships and difficulties. But then when you feel like someone forced you to do it, then when you go through those hard times, you almost blame it on the person who made you do this thing, even though it's going to be hard to go to school no matter what career you pick. So honestly, I like to admit that I told them that I was on board with their plan. I feel like the problem is I, I made myself, um, believe that that's what I wanted yeah I would tell myself make it till you fake it till you make it but it didn't work out Mm -hmm. and uh, I also have to admit that when I was in Iran I was going to therapy but I was not I did I refused to take medication so the depression and anxiety I think it's degree I was not aware of they were not aware of and when I came here I realized that the issue had been there I just had chosen to ignore it, uh-huh. but ever since I have been taking medication and going to therapy. But I have to admit that it's not their fault. <laughs> no, and I'm not saying it's actually their fault, And I, I'm, but I think, and I'm, maybe it's good that you thought, okay, this is my decision, and for anyone who's in these kinds of situations, mm-hmm. I would tell them it's good to make sure whatever decision happens, make sure you own it as your decision, not mm-hmm. my parents made this decision, my husband, my wife, my sister, it's your decision at the end, even if other people made an influence or gave you advice or input 
it's your decision that you own and then you take on everything that comes along with that the good the bad the ugly it's all up to you so now you're in canada you're studying and it's up to you to do what you're doing there and decide what you want to do next but you're saying the issue is that they don't want you to come back or they don't want you to do what what is it they they don't want want me to come back they do not want me to study art and they basically think of see that's the big fat issue they basically do not accept my mentality they do not trust me they have reasons to worry about me i would i would admit that but i feel like again um and this is something that i've I've, I've come to notice through all these therapy sessions is that, for example, they think that um, I, I usually fail or I always have a great fear of failure, which seems to be rooted back into my childhood. But for whatever reason, the situation right now is that they do not agree with me studying arts. They do not like me to go to a European country. They, do not, they, they feel like that I'm 25. I should be at the point where I'm studying a master's degree uh, in U.S. or Canada, and on my way to make money, and they're 100% sure that my way is the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the country is not a good option. Uh, the major is not a good option. They, they feel like that my choice is my choice and my path that I would like to pursue is going to fail, 100% sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, unfortunately, makes me lose confidence in what I like to do. Right. So it's all like very integrated and complicated yeah. and messy. <laughs> it is. Um, of course, yeah, even though you want to make this change, it's not that you have no doubt. You, you obviously are not sure of it yourself, and so you'd like to get more support from them, but they're definitely not on board. What um, makes For me, the biggest problem is that I myself, I feel like I'm the kind of character who likes to explore things and take the risk and make it work, whatever happens. Um, my biggest problem is that I am when um, I feel like this is a big issue with me, that I'm always looking to get my parents' acceptance and love and support. That seems to be a big issue with me, and that's what my therapist tells me. Mm-hmm. But um, in this given situation, they're making it even worse, and the bigger problem is that I would need their financial help to, mm-hmm. to get started to... Uh, you know, go study somewhere else and everything because I live in Iran and Iran people do not make that much money and because of all the economic situation, even if I make money, it will never be enough for me to support myself to do what I want to do. So I'm going to at some point need a little bit of their money. (laughs) Okay. Um, And so what is it that makes you want to, first of all, do you want to finish your degree that you're working on right now? Honestly, no. Okay. And my concern is, you know, you said I like to explore things which isn't necessarily bad, but another way of looking at that is that you don't like to finish things. Exactly. That's what my parents would tell me. Yeah, and that's my the concern when I, I hear you. It, yeah. the, the way I see it is that I tend to stick to it if I have enough passion for it. And I okay. feel like this is the time where I have to realize that, okay, if you chose this, you chose this, and you have to go all the way to the end, and you have to do whatever it takes to make it work. You cannot, like suddenly stop doing it and, you know, go to a different area or something. So I myself worked a lot on myself, or at least I think I did, to make sure that I'm not doing that again. How much, um, is, how much is left in your, the degree you're pursuing right now? Uh, well, quite frankly, the course was uh, for a year and a half. But right now I've had so much anxiety and, and many panic attacks that I have not attended my classes very much. Uh, it, it even... Like, even going to the building itself makes me really freak out. So, um, it's not like, uh, the best I can do is, like, finish it in a year and a half, but I honestly find myself incapable of doing that. So, how long have you been there? 
since August, end of August. Okay, so just like about four months. Exactly. Okay. And basically you haven't gotten anything done? Uh, yep. As far as the <laughs> classes go? Okay. Yeah. So you're basically, okay. I mean, that that's the concern I got in how you're talking. It was almost like you like to explore, but it was more that you might not finish anything. Mm-hmm. And that, it, it makes me worry that if you take the next step, you might find yourself in the same place. And maybe that's their concern also. Um, yeah. Maybe with your depression and anxiety, going to a new country wasn't a good idea. It doesn't, maybe you were not ready for that change. That is- a hundred percent true, and but I feel like I took all this time because I started thinking about going back and doing what I like a long time ago. I postponed it, and I kept talking to therapists and friends and family and all that stuff to make sure that I am making the best choice here. I'm not just—it's not just the pressure of immigration or a new place or anything. Um, and it's not just that I like to quit this, and it's not like that I like the idea of going back to Iran because I know there are going to be thousands of things that I would not like, and it would be way more hard to tolerate now that I have seen uh, life here. Still, it is my choice because I feel like it is on the right way to something that I am motivated about. The problem with me staying here is that I do not have any motivation, and the circumstances under which I'm living are all very far from me. I am a person who likes to communicate with people, who likes to have friends, um, not family, but friends. Uh, I like art, and Toronto is basically not filled with culture or art at all. I do not have any friends. Uh, I have to live with my aunt. Um, I have to attend to a lot of family meetings, and I I, I keep telling myself, I mean, I I thought about it, and that's what um, I realized, that all these hardships, I could have... I tolerate it if there was a bigger motivation for me. I feel like I'm not, because honestly, I felt, at first I felt like, okay, there are just these little hardships, these little things that I don't like, and I'm just being a spoiled kid <laughs> and not wanting to accept them. But then, times and again, I found myself able to put up with all those things, but upset that I'm putting all this energy to get adapted, to, to tolerate all the situations that I don't like, but it's all for something that I don't want. Why am I not putting all this energy and all this money into something that I know I enjoy? Okay, so what do you want? I would like to study photography or photography in media, and I would preferably like to do that in a European country, which is more art-filled, more inspirational. Um, honestly, I feel like if you really talk to an art student, they would tell you that Canada is not the best place to do it if you're really into those sort of things. It might not be, but I don't know how... What you're talking about, if it's possible, what you want to do, maybe it is. Uh, but I don't know if it's just you want to go back and it's a dream to go there or you really can make this happen. I believe there are ways to make that happen. I already speak, speak French, mm-hmm. so I know that France is an option. I know that the tuition fee for the universities are not very high. And there are some boosters that help you get along with your living. Uh, I cannot say that I know all the situation 100% sure and all, I have not figured out all the, all the details yet. But I do believe it's possible. I've seen tons of people move to Europe. Well, I know lots of people do. I just, I just, in hearing you talk, there's sometimes I get this feeling that you're just wishing for something, but I don't know if how realistic it is for you or what you're going to want to do. I, for one, believe that it's realistic. The reason that it seems like a wish is that I have confronted parents who tell me that it is just a wish, that it's basically not possible, that we will not support you financially, not even a little bit. And uh, the situation in Iran is, is, in Iran is so bad you won't be able to get out. 
So that's why I, I'm doubting it. But when I talk to other people, they're like, that is not the case. There are already so many people who have just started learning a foreign language so that they can um, move to another country in a couple of years or three years. So I, for one, believe that it is possible and there's a way to make it possible. My parents, that's again, I, I, this felt like a big, fat, mixed problem because then again, when I talk to my parents and they tell me, no, it's not possible, I'm like, oh, why? And, but because I'm so emotionally attached to them and I've always wanted their acceptance and help, mm-hmm. uh, I, I lose it. I'm like, oh my God, if my parents are not on board, I cannot do this and I cannot make them come on board, so I feel stuck. Yeah. Well, that does make it tough. Like you already are doubt having your own doubt and they don't make you feel like they're going to budge at all. So their point is to them, it's just taking art or pursuing art is not a good idea no matter what. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. No matter what. And do you know... Another problem I have with them is that when they find me upset or especially if I, I have a panic attack and they hear about it, they get concerned. And they just tell me to do something. They just tell me something I like to hear. For example, they tell me that, okay, just stay in Canada. Don't go to anywhere else. Do not come back to Iran. And you can switch to another program. And then within a few weeks, they're like, you know what? You know what? It's better not to switch to another program. One day they tell me that you do not need to worry about anything financial. We've got your back. You don't even need to get a job. We will support you no matter what. And a few weeks later, they will be like, oh, are you saving on money? We don't have much more money to give you. Or if you want to go to Europe, we don't have any money to give you. So I feel like they're not being quite honest with themselves as well. Mm-hmm. So Well, not um, with themselves, the with you. The way I see it is that I'm not in a very good mood. I'm not in a very good place. I'm trying to be. I'm, I'm, I'm using the medication. I'm going to therapy. But I also have a family who is not completely honest. They are also so lost, and they have so much anger and sadness towards me. Um, that they're not thinking clearly either, and I, I don't know what I can do about this situation because I know that they're not thinking clearly. For that, I know. Okay. I'm sure. Now, I... and they're not—they're in such a low place themselves that they're not able to help me. And it seems to me that it is a time that I need the help, um, but I know I can't get it from them. Well, you might not, and that's why—I mean, I know you might need financial, but emotionally, you might have to not try to get too much from them. You, yeah. you might have to be more reliant on yourself. I know you're saying... That is the part that I'm okay with, okay. Not, getting, not, not getting their support emotionally. But what happens is quite the contrary. They're trying... They oppress me. They have told me that we may not even let you come in the house again and come live with us. And if you do, we're going to make sure that we make it a hell for you. And I don't know if that's just a threat to make sure they're keeping me out of Iran or they actually are going to do it. But even thinking that they're threatening me, it, it really breaks my heart of course, my yeah. parents, you know, you sure. don't expect them to say, no, hey, no, we don't let you back in. Yeah. So. Okay, but is I know you don't like Canada, but is there any way you could study art there to not make things so complicated? No, this is like, this is something that I have looked uh, into very deeply. First of all, wanting to study art is going to be way more expensive than finishing my degree here or studying it in Europe. Also, I will have visa issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, at first I wanted to stay here to take a leave of absence, but then I realized that I will not be able to work here during that time because I'm technically not a student. And so what, what it means is that I'll be staying here and my parents would be paying for it, but it would just be buying time for me to like, apply to something else, which I think it makes more sense if I was doing it in Iran because financially it would be less money. I wouldn't be living... 
under the circumstances that I don't like because here I'm really lonely. It's really, uh, I live in the suburbs, so it's really hard to go to the city and all that stuff. And, um, and also, whatever program I get into, it's probably going to be even more expensive because in Europe, okay. the tuition fee is lower and you can get bursaries here. I won't be able to do that. Well, that, I don't so know about those I, details. That's why I feel like I made a logical decision. I really weighed all the options. And it was not like a rushed decision to say, hey, I miss my parents or I miss my friends or this isn't good. I want to go back to Iran. I really I wanted to stay away from my parents so that I wouldn't be so much affected by them. Uh, it came down to having no other options. And I felt like that this was the more logical way to get going on the way that I would like to be on. Okay. I don't, I mean, I'm not sure if what you're saying is all going to pan out the way you're saying. That's my concern. But mm-hmm. if you're unable to even go to school there, that's that's not going to work out either. I'm not sure yeah. what's going on. It's When I hear you talk, it just seems like it's you're all over the place. And so it I'm not true. sure exactly what's going on for you. Mm-hmm. It seems like really you haven't even tried to finish this program. I don't know why you picked adult education if you mm-hmm. had any, did you have any interest in this field? What made you go into adult education? Um, quite frankly, the way it started was that my mom was really upset with me because I had not started studying a master's degree and I had not moved out of the country. So she told me that I just want you to be out of country in whatever program for the fall Why did she want you? Why did she want you out of the country? She was worried that the situation in Iran is getting worse. And also, quite frankly, I feel like she had some issues with my father. They didn't get along well, and I was there, so she was worried about me, too. I felt like by me being out of the picture and knowing that she's not worried about me, maybe she could focus all her attention on her issues with my father. She she felt like I was wasting time, which I must admit I did waste some time. Um, waste? How did you waste time? What did you do? So when I got my bachelor's degree, um, I didn't want to continue that way and I wasn't happy with my bachelor degree the reason in all fairness is that again that's why I feel like it's a very complicated problem I studied industrial design which is basically arts but it's not completely arts arts like it's it's got mm-hmm. a lot of engineering in it as well and uh, so I passed the entrance exam for for art and that's when I got to the program and after two semesters I felt like I wasn't happy I wanted to go study photography, but I felt like I had had so many fights with my parents to let me do this. I didn't dare ask them to go study photography. So I finished that one, but I was not happy at the end, and I decided I didn't want to pursue, I didn't want to be a designer. But then I was so scared to tell my parents that I wanted to be a photographer, I didn't tell them that. And then I got a job as an English teacher. So I worked as an English teacher for some time, and that's why I chose this program. I felt like uh, it's interesting, I have had a background, it's not that far away from me. But quite frankly, when I started and my mom pressured me to immigrate to another country, I started looking at the options that were available because most deadlines were gone. And I actually, even back then, I told my mom that I wanted to go to France and I wanted to study photography. And she said there's no way that she would accept that. She would never, ever pay for any art program. So I said, okay, I'm just going to look into stuff in Canada. And Mm -hmm. I had very few options. Okay. Uh, this was one of them, and okay. so I, the best one. Yeah. So I chose it, and I said, okay, this makes sense. This is a master's program. This is in Got Canada. It. This is all what my parents wanted. I feel like I did it because I wanted the pressure off of my shoulders, mm-hmm. 
And I also told myself, really, it's a good idea. It's short. You can make it happen. And quite frankly, when I first came here and I had panic attacks, I would really try hard to go back. I would take my medication. I would go to therapy. But times and again, I found myself failing and, and really feeling miserable. Okay. Um, so I feel like I did try my best yes. to make this one work. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> you, you make it very hard for me to talk. That's what also I'm feeling like it's hard for you to get someone else's input on these things. I am so sorry. Okay. We're at a commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more, but just hang on the line. But I want you to think about, there's something I I worry that you're just going to be unhappy and it's not just about where you are. Yeah. And that's what also concerns me. So let's talk a little bit after the break. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. back before the break we were with the caller let's go back to her now hello hello okay okay you're back all right so um you're talking a lot about your situation and what you're trying to figure out and i did feel like you're all over the place and i do worry that the unhappiness you're talking about isn't just about where you are that you're just not very happy and so wherever you go i worry you might not be happy yeah um so that's what concerns me and the idea of you exploring and not Finishing something worries me mm-hmm. too. Although you're saying you think if you're passionate about something, you will see it through. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that I get concerned about when I heard you talking and just the way you were talking. Right. It was just like it seemed that way. Yeah. Um, so I'm not in agreement with your. Yes, go ahead. Um, a few days ago, I took an MMPI test. Mm-hmm. So I believe there, I have not received the results back yet. Okay. But I believe the results of that would also show a lot of characteristics about me that I can adverse and be on the road to solve. Yeah, that could help. The MMPI is a personality test. It might give you yeah. some insight into your personality. That I'm okay. glad you did that. But, um, yeah, I think that can help. Now, your parents, I don't agree with them. It is a very Iranian mentality that the arts are not something to study or not a career. Mm-hmm. when that that's not true it definitely can be right. i'm just very worried about you not being able to focus on one area and go forward in one area right the way i see it is that i'm i'm taking the medication for depression and anxiety and i'm also going to therapy and taking that test to realize what the problem is and i'm hoping that by doing all those things i would be able to go and finish the thing that I like and be successful in that. Okay. So the depression and anxiety, how long have you been dealing with those issues? Um, I think they have been there quite a long time, at least three, four years. Okay. But um, panic attacks is something that I started having about three, four weeks after I arrived here, Mm -hmm. so three months. And so how do you understand when you say the depression and anxiety? So it's not like your whole life, you're saying just the past few years. What do you think led to that? Honestly, I, I, I don't know if I can say that it has never been there before, mm-hmm. but at least the three, four past years, a big part of it was studying something that I was not quite happy with and with my parents. And also about five years ago, I found out that my father had cheated on my mom. So I feel mm. like that was a big thing that I spent a lot of time trying to recover from. Yeah. And all the issues that I have in my parents, basically started really showing themselves when I was 18 years old and I told them that I wanted to study art. That's when they really, I really felt like I'm different from my family. Unfortunately, right now I keep telling myself that I am the black sheep of the family and it's so nice of my family 
they don't deny that. <laughs> They're like, yes, you are. Getting that feeling started when I was 18 years old. I said I wanted to study arts. I became more independent. I wanted to have boyfriends. I wanted to drink. I wanted to smoke. Mm -hmm. And lots of such behaviors were not acceptable in that culture. And I completely disagree with that. Yeah, so there's something. I yeah, I really felt like I was trapped. Okay, and there's something I hear. You know, now when you're saying this, there is like an anger in how you talk, and maybe lots there's just yes, <laughs> and a rebelliousness that you you're the way you talk about things, and so it probably comes from a lot of things. I'm sure finding about your father's affair did not help that, and maybe you have mm -hmm. anger towards him, or maybe anger towards your mom for staying with him. Yeah. I'm not sure. Do you Definitely. did you, did you want your mom to leave him when you found out? Even right now, uh, the second time I went to my therapist here, I said, I want my parents to divorce, and they're yeah. driving me crazy. And it was my missing. When I was in Iran, I would go to therapy, but my therapist was really trying to make me realize that it is not my place to decide for them. Which is true. And that I should not be involved. But unfortunately, I had parents who would make me very much involved. They would have fights, and then they would each come talk to me, and they would ask Oof. my opinion, and they yeah. would try me to... They would. They would use me as their messenger, and they would be like, um, I had to deal with all the aftermath of that. As well. I wasn't just a kid. I was also being part of the, I don't know, parents' fights and everything. Yeah. They didn't consider me. I was very upset that they had numerous number of fights in front of me, and they called each other names that it was so, so very hard for me to tolerate. And I, I as well was not able to pull myself away or leave the situation. I was there. I just... I felt like I had to fix it. I felt like I had to help. And, and also the times that I um, refused to do that, um, they would get upset with me and they would tell me that you need to help us and uh, it is also your responsibility to be here and help us. So that's, I feel like I have never been, my whole family has never been able to communicate about a problem. We have never really learned to talk about our well, problems. No, the, well, the problem is you guys, they're talking too much and with the okay. wrong people. So in right. a way, it's a communication issue, but it's not about, they're not supposed to talk to you about these things. You're not supposed to play therapist and play messenger for yeah. them. And like many Iranian families, there's way too much dependency in your family where everyone is supposed to make decisions for everyone. And even yourself, you're saying as much as you have this rebellious spirit and you want to kind of tell them, I don't care what you think, I'm going to do whatever I want. You care so much about getting their approval and them being okay with what you're doing. So exactly. it's, you know, that's also a dilemma. It seems like you have in your head of, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. But then also I have to do what my parents want me to do to make sure they're happy and make sure they're okay. And maybe from a young age, you were playing their therapist or you were trying to take care of them uh, emotionally. And unfortunately, you're still holding on to that role. And yeah. so you have this conflict within yourself. So it's not just between you and them. It's between yourself where you want to yeah. be yourself and you want to be the good girl. And yeah, you're not and on sure. Top of that, there's a conflict within themselves because they want to be a loving parent who, who accept their, who love their child. Mm -hmm. But because of their belief system, they, they, they kind of cannot love me. I can't say they can't love me, but they cannot approve of me doing the things that I want yeah. to do. But then again, they cannot completely disagree with me because they see me unhappy. So they want to see me happy as well. But the happy that I am is, that in, is in a different place that they want me to be. So I know that they even have that conflict within themselves. Yeah. I mean, they, and you can't change them. They're having a hard time. They want to be good, loving parents and let you live your life. But they have very clear um, 
judgments that they have of this is a good life or not a good life, or maybe it's even about telling people what you're studying and how, you know, they can show off about it or not show off about it, which, you know, to them, studying the arts is not acceptable and all those Mm -hmm. things. So it's complicated, but I want you to recognize that you have to come to the decision within your own head. I know you need their support, but you have to decide what you want to do for yourself and then go ahead with that. And I'm glad you're going to therapy and I hope you keep going because it seems like there's a lot of pain that you're carrying. And I mm-hmm. feel that anger and how you were just talking about everything that's there. And we don't want, and we know that underneath the anger is a lot of pain. Right. And right. for a lot of people, they'd rather be angry than to be sad or show pain because when they're angry, they can feel strong and they don't have to feel vulnerable. But the anger usually just means you're going to hurt yourself and the people around you if you just express it that way. And so you might even make your own life more miserable just to hurt your parents because you know they're going to feel that. And so we really don't want you to do that because no one wins in that way. So in your therapy, keep getting into the pain of what's happened to you in your past because if your parents were doing what they were doing, it seems like they must have been hurting you in a lot of emotional ways, but also you didn't get a space for your own feelings if they're doing what they were doing. That uh, parents should be aware that the child needs their emotional support and does not need to take on their emotional baggage. But if what you were describing was the case in your home, I don't think your feelings had a lot of space. So even now, it's probably hard for you to deal with that and you go back and forth of even listening to yourself or thinking what you feel doesn't matter and you go back and forth between those. Yeah. Um, My question is, is there, because the way I see it and... I will um, stay in therapy, but I feel like, so this is a problem where was, a part of it was created because of my parents, mm-hmm. and uh, this is still an ongoing problem because I'm, again, at the point in my life where I have made a decision. I am trying to also make sure that I'm going to therapy and taking medication and doing the best as I can, but I'm feeling the pressure on me way too much, and I feel like I, I need them to realize some things and... Um, like maybe make a little bit of changes in their yeah. behavior. So or, well, when you talk to them, they just won't even listen to you? When you bring up the ideas you have, what is their response? That is true. And even as recently, they refuse to talk to me. They um, they tell me that I need to use somebody else. I have to like tell whatever I want to say to my Why brother. Why is that? He would, why he do would they, tell them. And then, why are they so upset with they you? talk to me, they uh-huh. get angry. And I also start crying, which is something that they do not like seeing. Yeah, well, this is, see, this is kind of the classic, uh, and this is why I talk about, sometimes people listen to my show, they say I like sadness so much. It's not that I like sadness, but I realize people have to have so much more tolerance for their own pain and other people's pain. Because this is a very common response. Someone cries and someone gets mad at them for crying because Mm -hmm. they can't tolerate hearing them cry. Or, in this case, hearing you cry can make your mom or dad feel like they're doing a bad job as a parent. So they feel like Mm -hmm. you're in a way making them feel bad. So they get mad at you and say, stop crying or we don't want to hear it. So we'd rather go through your brother. Even though they Mm -hmm. know you're suffering, they try to deny it or avoid it. And Iranians were very, very good at avoidance. It's like one of our talents that we just avoid feelings, avoid reality, avoid Mm -hmm. seeing something that's right in front of our face. And so because you're sad and they don't want to see that, they get mad at you and you can't even communicate to them directly. So exactly. it's going to be like tough. I am at a point that I really do need to communicate with sure. them. Sure, yeah. And I don't know how to make that That's work. very difficult. You know, when you talk to them, you might have to, you know, sometimes 
not that you should hide your tears, but with them, you might have to be aware of how your emotions are going to influence their reaction or right. even their ability to hear you. Because usually our feelings are important because if you care about someone and you can tolerate your own feelings and their feelings, when they start to cry and it feels genuine, that's their way of expressing to you how they're feeling and that's important. But mm -hmm. in the case of your parents where they can't handle those feelings, mm -hmm. if you do cry when you're talking to them, you have to be aware that that makes them shut down or going to make them angry. So rather than realizing I'm going to cry so they realize how sad I am, you might have to take a different approach, which is to not be so emotional when you're talking to them, if you can. I know that's easier said than done, and I definitely don't want you to avoid your own feelings, but when it comes to them, we have to be aware of how the listener is hearing what we're saying. Yeah. So to them, your tears come off as attacking them in a way or right. something they can't tolerate and they shut down. So you have to, before you talk to them, come to a good place, get those emotions out of the way as far as the crying goes, maybe even cry on your own before you talk to them or in therapy or to someone else. But then when you talk to them, be aware that you have to just express what's going on for you and make your decision. And I don't know what they're going to do, but right. you're going to have to be able to talk to them and let them know what's going on and make those decisions. But that anger that you're carrying, I really want you to work on that because sure. it's going to hurt yourself, your relationships, everything. And even right. you might sabotage your own life just to get back at them. And that's definitely not something we want you to do. Um, I already have done that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you have. And that's my concern is that you're doing it again, that right. you know, that, that's why you really have to think, do I really want to study what I'm saying I want to study? Mm -hmm. Or is it because I know my parents will hate it? Right. Have you thought okay. about that? I, I, like I thought long and okay. hard about it, and I really thought like that's what I want to study. Okay. But there's no way to know. There's no way for me, definitely, but even for yourself to know for sure. But I'm, yeah. you know, keep reflecting on that. But you have mm -hmm. to go ahead and live that life, and it's going to be hard for you to separate from them. They're going to make mm -hmm. it hard, but even in your own head, it seems like it's hard. So yeah, it I'm glad you're going to therapy, and therapy, the way it works is it's not something you just go a few times and it fixes things. For the things you're talking about, it's like months and years. You know, you have yeah, to really right. keep going. So, keep going through that process sure. and good luck with whatever decision you end Thank up making you and what you, whatever decision you make, see it through to the end. Okay. Sorry. I promise. <laughs> okay. Good luck. Nice Thank talking you. to you. Just to make sure I'm talking to Dr. Holakui's son. Yes. My, yes, <laughs> that's okay, right. Because I was, I thought that's the way it worked. You call him and you call, you talk to him. I didn't know that you also do the same thing. Yeah. I do it in English. His shows in Farsi. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Very nice much. talking. You have a good day. Thank you very much. Okay, have bye bye. Day. Thank bye you. Bye. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Me? Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, thanks. I'm calling about my three-year-old daughter who is clearly orally fixated, and I don't know what to do then. Okay, so tell me what's going on. So she puts anything and everything in her in her mouth at all points of the day. Okay. Um, did she have an issue with a pacifier or anything like that? No, she never took on a pacifier. Um she was breastfed and bottle fed. Um, she breastfed for about like 13 and a half months or so. Mm -hmm. She basically weaned herself. It was very easy. She's been a very easy child since birth. Um, everything un uneventful. She was planned C-section, mass pregnancy, um, 
Well, I so I have a I have a son also. They're twenty three months apart. Um, okay. They get along well. Like I, I can't I can't locate exactly the onset of when it started or why. And I don't like I don't seem to be doing anything right about getting her off the habit. Okay. So your your son is about close to one years old or around one. Yes, he's okay. sixteen months. And, and, of course, we know that sometimes as the older sibling can regress when a new child comes into play. So mm-hmm. that could be playing a part in it. But, again, when you say, I know you used the word oral fixation, but what is she doing? Is she putting her toys in her mouth? Is she... Everything. She'll put her fingers, nails, hair, side of her jacket, shirt, and, and every toy. Like, if she's standing somewhere... Should put like the side of the curtain, the door handle. If you're like grocery shopping, the I don't know a rail bar, like anything, mm-hmm. absolutely anything. Like she's always putting something in her mouth. Okay. And we're always like barking at her about it. Well, that's the thing. I'd I don't be... want to. But yes. And that's the part we have to be aware of. What how you react to what she's doing? Because uh, I, I was going to ask if she doesn't see you looking at her, does she do it anyway? She doesn't, no matter what. Okay. Does she have a lot she'll, of? She'll stop. She typically stops when we remind her to. Mm-hmm. So it seems to go on, um, sort of unconsciously. She is just so she's so extremely uh, hooked on it mm. that it's just autopilot. She just does it. Yeah. All the time. Okay. And you know, it the what she's doing. It seems to be a soothing behavior. So I, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, does she have a lot of anxiety? I, I don't know. What are the signs of a three-year-old? Does she worry a lot? Does she have fears? Does she seem tense? Does she have stomach issues? No, none of the above. None of those things. She's a very calm child. She, well, she has some non-calm times in okay, her life. Of course. She's overall, very. She's super social. She's super chatty, and she's happy child. Like everybody comments on what how great she is. I mean, of course, I, I I never want to read too much into it because people say things. But to me, she's been an easy child. She has her moments. Like with me, she's most difficult, obviously, because of the mom. But overall, she seems to be like I haven't. I've been trying to look more closely into other things, like if she, there's anxiety. But I'm not sure what to look for. Like it's not so obvious to me. She does have her jealous moments for sure with her brother and. I can tell, like, and she, she's very observant and um, very in tune with people's feelings and emotions and body language and everything. Mm-hmm. And so she won't really miss much. Um, like she'll she'll look at a picture, for instance, somewhere, and she'll be like, "Oh, why is why is that animal in that picture grumpy or happy?" Or she'll listen to the sound of some. I don't know, random noise, or and, and then she'll comment on people, feel, people's feelings. So she's very in tune with people's feelings. She's always been. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess she's a sensitive child in yeah. that sense. Yeah, I mean, that that it seems like she takes a lot in. Because something yeah, about yeah. the what you're talking about seems like there's a, a soothing factor to it. She's trying to calm herself down. That's why I asked if she was anxious. Does she have any issues going to sleep? No, I mean, she sleeps well. It takes me a long time to put her down a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Even though we follow a routine, we've followed a routine since birth for her. She was sleep trained um, and everything. But, I mean, as, as she's grown 
it's become harder. Like the routine sometimes gets longer and longer. She'll, she'll resist unless she's like really exhausted. Okay. But no, mm. she speaks low. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, but even the way you said takes her time to calm down, there could be some thing that she is soothing is something she needs. So what do, when you're trying to put her to sleep, does she do anything with the oral fixation that you were talking about? As in to put her to sleep? Not when, necessarily, no. No, so, like it's, it's usually, it's not so much calming as it is. Like she doesn't want us to leave, so she she's always bargaining for one more story, one more book, one more, like five more minutes. Yeah. Um, just staying in my room, that kind of thing. Right, but it, she's not using anything, like she's not, is she putting anything in her mouth no, to calm herself down? Not, not at sleep time, no. Okay. It's more like, I don't know if, it, 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 it's probably more, it, it is always, but it's probably more at like new experiences, like, or even non-new experiences, like if, she, if I take her to like dance class, She'll, she might be doing that throughout the entire class. Yeah, so I mean, when you said the new experiences, that I think we have to look for the connection between her calming herself down or soothing herself or trying to get comfortable in some yeah. way. Um, mm -hmm. And like you said, it's kind of autopilot is a habit, and we don't want to make her feel bad about it. I know you, I think you said you, we bark at her. So we want to try yeah, to not bark. Past that point. Yes. <laughs> Because I started boy ignoring it because I was like I've I've tried to look yep. it up, mm -hmm. um, and then that didn't seem to do it, and then we started to like and it, it's grown like it's it's gotten so much worse that we just can't help notice and comment on it, and even if it's not like literally barking, it's at least a very firm reminder of just stop like take her hand, but it's just so much it's all all the time. Yeah, yeah so I mean that's gonna have a negative effect, and I know we think if we bark at her and i get that you're getting frustrated about it that it's getting worse but we think if we bark it's going to make it more likely she stops but it could make things worse it could make her even so more tense we well you want to you know you could talk to her about it see even what she says or even what do you tell her about it just you shouldn't have anything in your mouth or what do you say no like we've always said like um only food or and toothbrush are for putting in your mouth mm -hmm. nothing else is okay to put in your mouth so so depending on what it is, like hands are for painting or picking things up or toys are for playing with, whatever it is, like so we'll say those kinds of things. Um, I don't know, hair is for wearing up or down or, you know. Yeah, okay. And then what those seems to be her reaction to that when you guys tell her that? Um, sometimes she stops, other times. It's not exactly that she's unaware of it. It's more that she's, she's just so um, unaware. Um, I mean, when she does it, she's unaware of it. It's, it's almost unconsciously happening. Mm -hmm. But she gets it. Like, she understands that it's a bad thing. She understands, like, um, it can get, get you hurt or you can get sick or it's just a bad thing to do. It's impolite, all of that stuff. Okay. I, yeah, I wouldn't get into the impolite and those things as much. But, you know, the way even I hear you talk about it, I can tell you're annoyed by it. <laughs> and we have to be aware of not giving her that feeling that she's being annoying because, mm. you know, kids, what we always want to tell parents is like, have a stance of curiosity when it comes to your kid's behavior. She's not trying to be annoying. She's not trying to be difficult. She's not trying to do something you don't like. Um, mm -hmm. She's doing something, you know, is it to me, there's some kind of soothing behavior. Of course, habits become very hard to stop. So if she's just used to doing these things, it's just something she, th something she does, like you said, on autopilot. 
to me, when you said new experiences, she's more likely to do it. She might be more anxious or tense than you realize. Or like you said, she's taking in so much stuff that maybe it's just kind of overwhelming. And she does this to soothe herself. So we don't want to say this is a good way to soothe yourself and say, go ahead and put whatever you want in your mouth and do all these things. But we also don't want to make her feel bad. This is her way of trying to just be okay. So she's maybe feeling a little tense and she does that. Or, you know, what I'm worried about is the more you guys bark at her about it, then the more it actually is going to make her tense or she uses it as a way to get your attention or something and it becomes even worse rather than helping her. So we don't want to add to the tension related to this situation because it's a behavior she's doing to reduce anxiety or reduce tension. But if we inject more into it by getting mad at her, getting upset, showing annoyance, it's, if anything, going to make it worse, not help her. So what's the appropriate response? Well, you you can, you could all look like, you know, you could talk to her. Oh, it looks like, you know, you put that in your mouth or that happened or that happened again. But not to tell her you're being bad or impolite or people aren't going to like it. We don't actually ever say that. But okay. That just came out. But, okay. I mean, I, I definitely give her the, the feeling of being bad by being angry at her that's that's like, part I'm not, saying I may not use the words but exactly sure and, she feels that way. and especially because you said she doesn't miss much and she picks up and no. all kids take in a lot more than we usually realize but especially you're saying you think your daughter's even more sensitive in that way of taking things in so we know she's going to feel it mommy doesn't like me mommy thinks I'm bad I'm doing something bad and you're saying it's almost out of her control right she's not trying mm -hmm. to be annoying or she's not choosing it in some way she might even not realize she's doing it till she's doing it and then mommy gets mad at me for just being me for being what i am so that's why i want you to in a way put yourself in her very little shoes um she's just trying to she's just doing that to calm herself down and it's become a habit and maybe it's not very good but we don't have to be worried that when she's 15 years old she's still going to be doing that now might she have an oral fixation that can play out in certain ways it's possible but we're not just going to take it away by telling her to stop or don't do that or it's bad so if anything i would say reduce the anger that's going on but i'd pay attention to what's happening for her because i i get the feeling you might be disconnected from her feelings that she might be more anxious than you realize or more tense than you realize and she's calming herself down and even in talking to you right now i can feel a an anger in you that maybe she's picking up on maybe you're giving off a feeling of tension to her that makes her want to calm herself down so okay. i would be aware of that too that if she is as sensitive as you're saying you're anxiety or your tension she's going to pick up on you and her father if you guys are getting into any kind of argument she's going to pick up oh, on. Yeah. how are things in the home oh we have a lot of arguments okay sure. i i probably want to soothe myself yeah okay so i'd probably want to soothe myself too if i was in that home the way you're saying there's a lot of arguments mm -hmm. so yeah, okay. again what we have to realize is that she's not just doing something because of her we're more than likely creating a situation that has her doing what she's doing so if you and if you guys are arguing, especially if you're arguing about the kids, especially about her, and you're saying she doesn't miss much, that's really, really bad. You're hurting her more because to the kid, it's not mom and dad are trying to figure out these things. Mom and dad have different parenting philosophies. It's that I'm a problem. I'm causing fights. I'm the reason why they're yelling. And the yelling hurts me, and I'm the problem. So we really have to be aware of that. So uh, I, when it comes to her, much less anger, much less disgust annoyance whatever negative feelings we're giving her about this but especially you have to look at you and your husband and how you guys are dealing with these things 
and I'm feeling a tension in just talking to you that I'm sure she's going to pick up on too. And we have to put those things in check. So um, very often, especially with kids this young, as parents, we have to take care of ourselves emotionally. That's the best thing we can do for our kids. If there's more, if the house is more calm, she's going to be more calm. The more anger and fighting there is in the home, the more tense she's going to be, the more she's going to look for something to calm her down. This is her way. Let's think of it this way. This is her way of dealing with the stress that you and her dad are creating. And now we're getting mad at her. So we're creating a stressful situation. She's trying to calm herself down. And then we tell her she's being bad for calming herself down. So again, when we put ourselves in her shoes, we see that she's just a very, very little girl trying to survive and be okay. And so it's up to you and her dad to really take care of your guys' issues to not fight in front of the kids. You guys have to have these conversations away from them. You have to have them at other times and you have to make them more calm. All these things are going to affect your girl who is a sensitive girl who's going to take Mm -hmm. in a lot more than even a typical kid. And, of course, she's going to show it in this way. You know, this is a good way that she's dealing with it. There could be far worse, you know? (laughs) Okay. At three? Sorry? At three, you could do more? Well, I mean, you know, there could be wedding. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not saying she's going to go rob a bank, but I'm saying, you know, there's worse (laughs) things that, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. But even in the way you're saying, could there be worse? It's not that bad. You know, let's put it in perspective, too. I'm not even going to explore what else you could do. But mm-hmm. it's not that bad of a thing. But I still feel like the way you talk about it is like it's so annoying and so bad. And she has to stop yeah. now. It's going to take some time. She's not going to stop today or tomorrow. And we mm-hmm. understand, again, I hope you can take that perspective of, okay, we're creating a stressful environment. She's trying to deal with that stressful environment. And then we get mad at her about her reaction to the stressful environment that we've created. That's not fair mm-hmm. to her at all. So it's up to no, you and her dad to make the home more calm. If the house becomes more calm and you guys become more calm, I would almost guarantee you that you're going to see a reduction in those kinds of behaviors because she'll feel more calm. This is something she's doing to soothe herself, to calm herself. And so we have to give her less of a need to calm herself and to make her feel more comfortable. And we especially don't want to make her feel bad with how she's trying to calm herself down. Okay. Okay. Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. All right. Going into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm 14 and I'm in middle school right now. And I have a couple things I want to talk about. Okay. Go okay, ahead. So this is, the first one is, um, so when I sit in class, for some reason during my calls, I mean during my, um, during class, I zone out. Mm-hmm. And it's just been really bothering me because I can't pay attention in class. I don't like the subject, and for some reason, my brain just like I zone out in the class, and like I realize oh my, it's been like 13, 15 minutes, and I haven't listened to the teacher. Mm-hmm. Is this something you've always dealt with, or it's more a recent problem? Um, it's more recent. Okay. So, yeah. so you know, the reason why I asked that about that is. Zoning out or having a hard time focusing or concentrating can be caused by a lot of different things. Of course, the main one we always will think about is ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. But that's usually something that is going to be present from a very young age, so five or six. So if this is a newer thing, uh, there's other things we want to look at, things like 
feeling depressed or down or feeling anxious that can also lead to issues related to concentration or focus. Do you feel like you're dealing with either of those, depression or anxiety? Uh, well, some of the things um, I've been doing, I bite my nails a lot, yeah, like a lot, and I play with my hair a lot, and my mom's been telling me those are signs of anxiety. Mm-hmm. She's so, right. Yeah, there definitely are signs of anxiety, yeah. But I'm able to focus in my other classes, which is fine, but just subjects I don't like. I keep zoning out. And that's always going to be the case for anyone even not dealing with anxiety, ADHD, depression. It's always going to be easier to focus on something we like. If you're really into a movie, you're going to pay attention to everything going on. If the movie is boring to you, you're going to miss parts and zone out. So we're going to have that experience that in classes where it's, uh, you know, we're not as interested or we don't like it as much. Or if you're behind in a class it's much more likely you zone out because it's hard for you to get what's going on. And so you lose focus or you start to worry about things like, I don't even get this stuff. What am I going to do on the final? What am I going to do on the test? How am I going to study? And then you realize you haven't been focusing for five, 10 minutes because you've been worrying about what you're not understanding. And of course, then you get more behind and it just kind of becomes a cycle. So um, people actually, yeah, we have a harder time in classes where we don't like the material because part of what keeps us able to focus is that it can we get engaged with whatever it is we're dealing with. That's why when you're in a class you really like, or if it's a movie you like, or a conversation you like, you can lose sight of everything else because you're so focused on what's in front of you. If it's not really grabbing your attention, it's going to be a lot harder. Um, so, you know, you say you're biting your nails and your mom, I would agree with her, seems like you're dealing with some anxiety. Do you have anything that's recently changed in your life or anything that you feel like you've been feeling more anxious about? No, not really. Okay. Much. Okay. But yeah, it does seem like, do you feel more anxious? Like, do you feel it in your stomach? Do you feel like you're worried more? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because, um, it's my, something else that I wanted to say, my phone, I use, I'm on my phone a lot. And something I worry about is my grades have been dropping recently. And, um, so that really worried me. And I, and Discord, I was able to pull myself back up and bring my grades back up. And so that's kind of been on my mind a lot. Mm-hmm. So you're worried about your grades? Yeah. Okay, and, and then you brought... Um, yeah, go ahead. My GPA this year is important for what high school I go to, so that's always on my mind. Yeah, so I mean, there, it seems like there's a lot of pressure and stress about that, and I think, unfortunately, they put too much pressure on kids from a young age. I think everyone should definitely work hard, and we want to encourage hard work, but the pressure sometimes can be so much instead of pushing people forward, it pushes them down. Uh, so that when I asked, I asked you about the, what's maybe changed in your life, this could be something where you're feeling this pressure for school and then people can get so stressed out where you're taking a test in eighth grade and you think, well, how well I do on this test will affect what high school I go to and what high school I go to affects what college I go to. And then that's going to affect my career. And people are sitting there doing one math problem, but it feels like that math problem is going to determine their career path for the rest of their life when really it's not the case, but we can feel that kind of pressure. So you might be feeling more pressure now in everything that you're doing because as you're saying, you think it's going to affect your high school. I'll tell you what. Even if you go to one high school or the other, go to the one you want to go to and try your best, but that's not going to determine your life. You're going to have so many more years of work and decisions that you're going to make that are going to determine where you're going to go. So if you can, keep that in mind when you feel that pressure of this question, this test, this grade means everything, because it doesn't. But sometimes it could feel that way with the pressure we can feel from what the school tells us and maybe what you tell yourself. 
that everything you're doing is going to matter a lot. Um, you said something about using your phone too much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, like, when I come home from school, um, the first thing I do is I take a break. I go on my phone. Next day, I know I'm two hours on my phone, and I don't feel like doing my homework. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I've been trying to stop that, but it's actually kind of hard. It is very hard. You know, the phone is definitely something that most people are in some way addicted to. And like you said, you can get on it for a longer time than you want to or realize, and that's actually a part of addiction is when you feel like you don't have so much control over how you're using it but also of course you're doing that because you don't want to do your homework it's always going to be more fun to watch videos or memes on your phone or text with your friends than to do your work and so if you don't set some kind of limit on it it could be hard to stop yourself and so this is where it's good you know i work with a lot of families and the parents are saying my kids on their phone too much but here you're recognizing it yourself so you can even ask for help from your mom of setting boundaries of when you use your phone that for example okay mom when i come home i want a little bit of a break but let's set a timer or you set a timer and i'm going to use my phone for 30 minutes while i have a snack or whatever you want to do and then i'm going to give my phone to you to do my homework or something like that but you come up with the rule with her the boundary with her yeah and we have tried that a lot actually but um, the thing is after i go on my phone I do my work and everything, but I just don't want to finish it really fast just so I can get out of my phone. And I just feel like the work is rushed and I don't put in much, as much effort into it. We're kind of, sorry, your your voice is coming in a little bit uh, faint. I can't quite, maybe you're not speaking directly into the speaker. Oh, uh, what I was saying was, um, so when I, we have done that before, we set boundaries a lot, actually. And um, the thing is, like, after I take a little break and I go on my phone, I mean, I do my work. Um, I feel like I want to finish my work, and I don't put in as much effort just so I can get on my phone after. And is it you want to get back on your phone to text with friends or to go look at things online? What's usually... No, no, just to, like, text and go on social media. Okay. but So it's more about, like, texting with friends or connecting with other people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, again, we can get very addicted to to the phone, but we're also avoiding what we need to take care of. And that can be difficult. And so it's going to take some time. You can make it less over time. But also, I feel like the way you're talking about it, like you just feel like a need to get back on your phone. Yeah. Is it the fear of missing out? Is it the, I need to talk to people because I want to know what's going on? What, what do you think makes you so like needing to get back on? I just, I don't know. I feel like I want to get back on, like it's fun. So I want to go back to the fun instead sure. of doing work. Yeah, which, I mean, that's kind of part of life that we're going to have to always accept that work will probably feel more like work than fun feels like fun. So we have to be aware that we have to set those limits and be like, okay, it's going to be there when I'm done, um, but we have to be focused on what we're doing. And another issue that happens is our phones are making us have a lot shorter attention spans. So even what you're talking about when we first started uh, talking is about being in class and not focusing because of, you know, phones and we're constantly getting pictures and images and 15 second videos and going to the next thing, people, especially the younger generation, but even I see it in my generation and older generation, our attention span is becoming a lot less because we're used to just this constant stimulation and sitting in a class is not going to be the same as going on Instagram or texting with five different people at the same time. And so it could be harder to focus. So, you know, take some steps in slowly um, 
getting a little better at being away from your phone. I think it's good that you see it as a problem yourself because that'll help and have your mom help you. And yeah, you're going to want to go back, but it's okay. But I think, you know, the anxiety that we're talking about is something you really have to look at because biting your nails, feeling anxious, it's going to affect your focusing on class. It's going to make you have a harder time in school rather than help you. So it's something to keep an eye on and even think about if it keeps getting worse of going to therapy or doing something like that. But another thing you can do that would help with the anxiety, but also with the concentration is to try meditation. Have you ever tried that before? No. Yeah, most people haven't, and especially most young people have not, but you're definitely not young enough or too young, I mean, to, to try it. But meditation is something you can even do five minutes a day that would likely help you. And there's lots of apps online you could find, lots of videos online that could guide you if you want something guided. But even just a few minutes a day can be helpful. Oh, yeah. And one, one last thing I wanted to talk about. Um, since I was little, I was always like normally a little shy. Mm-hmm. But lately, I went to a new school for middle school and I didn't really know anyone. And um, I've gotten pretty insecure about myself. Mm. I don't really want to tell people that I'm Iranian and, like, I don't like to tell them my religion and everything. I just kind of hide it because I feel like I'll be judged. Yeah. Well, so those things, and I'll let you know, we have just about a minute left, so I wish we had more time. Maybe you can call back another time and we can talk some more. But, you know, those things, of course, are going to make you feel more anxious if you're trying to, if you think you have to hide part of who you are, if you're not feeling as comfortable, you're probably not feeling as comfortable socially, and that's going to affect how you feel at school, and that's going to have effect on your focus and all these types of things as well. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm sure that's contributing to what you're feeling. Uh, as far as the anxiety going, uh, anxiety that you're experiencing for anyone, social life is important, but especially when you're in 14, middle school and high school, it's a big part of your life. And when you're feeling a little shaky, that's going to make you feel more shaky inside. And so feeling like you have to hide who you are, I hope you realize you don't have to. You can be yourself and I hope people won't make you feel bad about that. Um, being you know, yourself makes it a lot easier to feel comfortable, but when you, feel, you have to hide yourself, of course you're going to feel more anxious. So that's a, a big thing to, to keep in mind, that it's probably a stressor you're dealing with when you feel like you have to not be yourself. That's going to affect you, especially in teenage years where you're trying to find yourself and you're trying to express yourself. If you feel like you have to hold yourself back, that's probably going to make you feel more stressed. So I think your mom has a point about the anxiety with the phone. See what you can do. You know, good on you that you brought your grades up. I know it's probably the end of the semester and getting ready for next semester. But we have to keep an eye on this anxiety, which seems to be growing. I hope you can call back another time and we can talk some more. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Great. I look forward to it. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Amir, who, who was here first. And now ending up the show. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Lakwi. Have a wonderful day.